Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Uh, Today's uh, reading is from the book of Acts, uh, starting with verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he, was supposed to be, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, they took them, or he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Very good. Um, today we're talking about uh, that feeling of not wanting to be alive, of being a community to people who don't want to be alive. And so I want to start with a couple of stories. Back about four years ago, a woman, I'll call her Lucy, came to UVC. And after worship, she came up to me thrilled at having found this community. Uh, she loved that we were so open and the way that um, we, we named at the beginning that people from all walks of life were welcome here. She shared with me that she um, was uh, sober for three days and she uh, was excited about that and she felt like she had a community that could hold her in that and, and walk with her um, through sobriety. At that time, we had a group called Addiction, Grace, and Recovery, and I told her I'd introduce her to the, to the leaders of that group and that that could be a source of connection for her. As is my custom, I followed up with her a couple of days later for an email and uh, to see about going to coffee, and I didn't hear back, but I didn't think much of it because... Um, I have come to learn that not everybody wants to have coffee with a pastor. <laughs> and uh, so a couple of weeks later, I got an email from Lucy's sister. And Lucy began, or Lucy's sister began by telling me that the Sunday that Lucy visited, she uh, called her sister right away and was overjoyed at having found this place. And she shared how uh, Lucy went on and on about how this was going to be the place that was going to help her to... Um, to stay clean and to to love her, and um, that she was just thrilled. But uh, the reason that Lucy's sister wrote to me was to let me know that a couple of days after that email, after that phone call, a couple of days after visiting UVC, she took her life. 
and uh, her sister was so struck by that contrast of the joy of this community and then the deep pain that caused her to end her life that she wanted me to know what this place had meant to her. I remember reading that email and crying. I was crying over a person that I really didn't know. Uh, But I think I was crying because I lost the opportunity to get to know her. I think I was crying because our community, UVC community, didn't have the chance to get to hold her in her pain and tell her that she was enough. I think I was crying because I was imagining the pain and hurt that someone must be trapped in to see that the only way out is to end their life. Can you grieve a person that you don't know? I think so. I think that when we're connected to God, when we follow the way of Jesus and um, we are with other people that follow the way of Jesus, that becomes what we call the body of Christ. That's what y'all are, right? And uh, that when we're part of the body of Christ, we understand that our relationship with everyone else, even if we don't know them, that we are connected, that we're all made in the image of God. So I grieve the loss of Lucy's, Lucy's life, that this community did not have the opportunity to love her. I also remember the very first one-on-one I had uh, following the launch of Andersonville's campus six years ago. I sat across the table from a young woman, I'm gonna call her Liz, as she tearfully confessed to me that she thought about suicide all the time. Uh, I was new, I came from slinging coffee, and now I was in, at Starbucks, and now I was in this very real conversation with someone, and I was overwhelmed and what I, every instinct in my body, I wanted to like, yell like, don't do it and you should talk to somebody that knows what they're doing, you know? Um, I'm inadequate for the task. But I stayed present with her and I asked her about her suicidal ideation. I asked her if she had a plan and she told me she did. I asked her if she had a day that she knew she was gonna do this, and she said she did not. She was married, I asked if her husband knew about this, and she said he did. And I asked if I could follow up with her husband to, to ensure, and she said yes. And she said that actually, because her husband knows and because now I know, that actually makes it less likely that she would end her life. That, that um, we, the two of us, were now holding some of her pain so that she didn't have to hold it all by herself. And that that lifted her enough to know that people cared for her that she would not do it. So Liz stuck around UVC 
and found love and acceptance here. She was part of a small group. She, and uh, this group has prayed for one another, has held one another through the ups and downs of every person in that group's life and through Liz's ups and downs and through her significant depression. At this church, she was reminded that she was loved and needed and she is alive today. Thanks be to God. I share these two stories and there's, there's such a contrast, right? Because in one of them, someone survived suicide and in another one, someone did not. And there's lots of factors that go into that, right? We as a church cannot do talk therapy. We cannot prescribe medication. Um, but we can be a community for one another. We can hold one another's pain and remind one another that their life, in the midst of that pain, that your life has a value. And when the time is right, when they're out of that darkness and pit, and they ask the question, what can I do to live? I want to live. I want to be alive. We can share the hope of the gospel with them. And the hope of the gospel, y'all, I think is, um, do you guys remember that it, it Gets Better campaign that was aimed at LGBTQ youth several years ago? That's the hope of the gospel, that, that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of darkness and thinking there is no way out, it is this small glimmer of hope that knows that God is always a God of resurrection. And we may not be able to see the way out. We may not be able to will ourselves out of it. But through this body of Christ, through people together, and through God, new life can happen. Beautiful things can come. Out of brokenness comes resurrection. So in our scripture passage today, we see another story of someone who survived suicide. Now when I look at this story to, to remind us how to be this body of Christ, to see how we can be for one another in the midst of each other's pain. This uh, survivor of suicide was at a point of crisis and he comes out of it. So let's, let's look at that. We don't know much about this jailer. There's a couple things that we can name about him. We know that he, order, he takes orders well, right? He knows how to follow orders. We know that he was sleeping at the time of um, the earthquake. We know that he was armed with a sword but there's also some assumptions we can make about him. We know that um, based on this region of Philippi that they were in, uh, we can assume that most of the people in, in that area were, worshiped the Roman god Zeus, who was the god of thunder and sky. So we can probably assume that this guy had that allegiance. We also know that most people, there's still some people today that think this, um, not me, uh, 
We know that a lot of people at that time believed that any sort of supernatural event, like an earthquake, it was an assumption of, of divine power intervening in human life. Does that make sense? Like so, this earthquake was a direct result of something. And what we know is that this earthquake freed the people who were proclaiming Jesus. So that would have been undermining to anybody that worshiped Zeus, because this earthquake freed the Jesus people. So see, here's Paul and Silas, and they have, uh, they've been all over doing all sorts of great things, and they're on their way to a prayer meeting, and this woman, this slave woman, sees them and says, you uh, worship, the, you follow the, um, the way of God, the, um, the most high God. And uh, she does this for a couple of days and she talks about how they proclaim the path of salvation. And finally, Paul kind of gets annoyed with her and he says, you know, be out, demon. And uh, uh, she no longer can have the prophecy of fortune telling. So the owners get angry and they, um, they end up throwing Paul and Silas in jail. So this jailer, the person who... Um, fell asleep would have known that they were in jail because they were proclaiming a different way than Zeus. They were proclaiming the way of Jesus. Now, we don't know if he had been contemplating suicide previously, but what we do know is in that moment, a couple things happened. He failed. He failed to keep the prisoners locked up and I think he experienced an earthquake of the soul or an earthquake of his understanding. His experience did not line up with the beliefs that he had, right? The beliefs were Zeus. The experience was like, oh, these Jesus people are the ones that are winning. And so straddling failure straddling um, irreconcilable differences of belief and experience, he sees no other option but to end his life. And Paul sees what's about to happen. And he says, don't do it. We're all here, don't do it. Simple words, nothing magical. Just don't do it. When I read this scripture, a way to read scripture is to sort of imagine where you are in it. And when I read this scripture, I wonder, and I'm asking you to wonder where you are in this scripture. And it's possible to be in a couple of places, right? Because our life is long, so... Maybe you are in a place where you are having trouble reconciling something. You have a, you're in the midst of a mental earthquake or, or a spiritual earthquake, and the only way you see out is death. Or maybe you've been in that place in the past. Or maybe you're like Paul, who um, is sort of sees this desperate situation and doesn't know anything else to say, but don't do it! And it's not eloquent, but it does the job. 
Or maybe you're like Silas, that you see the situation and you are paralyzed and you stand watching. Thankful that someone else speaks up. I recently read the scripture to a group of about six people and um, each of us could find ourselves in the story and oftentimes multiple places. Um, ranging from passive thoughts about suicide to, to being very close to ending their life. I want to pause for a moment. Um, you've heard me say this passive thought, and you've maybe heard me say suicidal ideation, and so I want to pause and give you guys some terminology because I think in the sub- we don't talk about this, and it's overwhelming, and so I want to I want to like define some terms and name some things so that if you are in this place um, with a friend or something, you can sort of be better prepared than to yell, "Let's call nine one one," which is what I wanted to do the first time somebody told me. So I've I've thrown out this term passive um, and. Passive is, is a, kind of the very beginning of the continuum. If you think about, uh, so I want to take another example. I, I uh, sometimes think about how cool it would be to travel to Spain to see, um, well, lots of stuff. But I, I think that that would be really cool. I've passively thought about it. Um, but I haven't, like, I don't own any travel books. I haven't researched any websites. I haven't looked at plane prices. I just have sort of had that passive thought. I was talking to somebody um, who's a licensed uh, social worker in between services. There's no data on this, but I would imagine most of us in this room at one time or another have been in a situation where we've said, this would be so much easier if my life were over. So that is not a place where we have to call 911, right? And I think it sort of disarms us a little if we think, oh, many of us have had that, yeah? So further along on the continuum, um, if I, if I uh, cho- went to the calendar and I chose a date, now I'm, I've, I've gone further on that continuum, right? If I booked tickets, I'm even, I'm even closer to getting on the plane. Um, and if I, um, you know, get on the plane, do you, do you get what I'm saying by this continuum? So I think uh, in Paul's situation, in the scripture passage today, Paul immediately assessed the situation and he saw that, you know, Uh, the person was in a dire situation, he had a sword on him, and he was saying, I'm going to do it. And so he immediately said, don't. That was an emergency situation, right? And to, to be perfectly honest, what's so beautiful about this is that this was Paul's enemy. Paul probably didn't even like this person because he was the one that was responsible for keeping him in the jail cell. But the sacredness of life, the connection of us to one another, despite our differences, despite not knowing each other, caused Paul to shout out, don't do it. We're all here. You matter. 
And in hearing this, the jailer sees a new way. And he drops his sword. And he asks the question that is actually probably the question that prompted him to think about ending his life, but now he voices it out loud. What do I have to do to be saved? To really live? And it is out of that question that Paul responds by sharing the good news. The good news that um, there is a foundation in Jesus that cannot be destroyed by an earthquake. The good news that when you put your entire trust in, in the master Jesus, then you will live as you were meant to live. See, this is what it means to be saved, is to live. A lot of times think, people think to get saved is just a ticket to heaven for when we die. Yes, anybody ta- was taught that? Getting saved is just to get to heaven when you die. But Paul is saying to be saved is to live. To live and trust your life to Jesus. And this trust doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect, right? It doesn't mean that your mental health struggles will disappear. Um, That often comes with medication and therapy. And sometimes people live with chronic suicidal ideation. They are always thinking about it, and it doesn't matter how much medication or how much therapy they have. It's just part of the wiring of who they are. So putting your life, trusting your life to Jesus doesn't mean that everything is going to like be roses. But it does mean that you are opening yourself up to hope, to something bigger. It means that you are trusting this community to hold you in your pain. It means that you are living in the way of Jesus who modeled vulnerability, that we can trust one another with the messiest parts of our lives, including thoughts of ending them. And we can know that we will be met with people that are speaking on behalf of God, that are saying, don't do it. You, we are here for you. You matter to us. You belong here. You are worthy of love. In the words of logic, I don't want to be alive. I want you to be alive. I want you to be alive. You don't got to die today. So this community... This body of Christ here. I think about Lucy, and I think she needed this community. She needed us to be the voice of God for her to say that she was enough. And I think we could have held her but I don't think she knew it. So if you are in that place today, or if you were in that place yesterday, if there's one thing I want you to hear today, it's don't do it. I would miss you. This community would miss you. 
And if you're not in that place today, and you're here because it's church and you came on Sunday, know that we get to be that community. We get to be the body of Christ that can hold that pain and bear that burden. And it's not going to be easy. And we might mess up. But we can trust that God will hold all that. Friends, I have seen over and over and over again that we worship a God that takes the very worst of our life, the fear, the hatred, and the death that we experience and meets it with love and grace and a new form of life that is so radically different than we can even imagine. That's called resurrection. That's called it gets better. So go forth today in this, like, y'all, this is a gloomy topic, but go forth today knowing that you are part of this beautiful body of Christ and that as we are scattered throughout this week, go forth rooted in Jesus. Go forth knowing that there is a person that you have to share Jesus' love with. Go forth to love. Amen.